welcome to If You Catch My Grift. This is a podcast where we talk about swindlers, charlatans, and con artists. Swindlers. I'm goddamn swindlers. Uh, I'm Dalton. You hear Austin laughing at me. And currently munching on an Oreo is Charlie Butters. Say hey, Charlie. Beef jerky, bro. What's up? Okay, beef jerky. I'm sorry. We're we're contributing to the trend of podcasters eating on on mic. (laughs) He likes that hard, stiff meat. <laughs> I, I haven't some- had any of I haven't had any of smoking Jay's barbecue and any of Brock's meat in my mouth in a, in a while, so I had to find something else. What well, there's gonna be some meat in this episode too, some hard meat in mouths in this episode. So, you know, just just as you had no way of knowing that. Um, but that's a little preview into what we're doing. Oh, oh okay. Um, but it's the day after Christmas when we record this. It's obviously going to be a week later when it actually gets released. So I hope everybody had a nice holiday. You know, we all video chatted each other last night. Is that what they say? God, I feel like such a fucking boomer when I say things like that. We Zoomed. We, we Zoomed, Zoomed each other. Yeah, yeah we Zoomed. Um, and did a little Secret Santa thing. It was a lot of fun. So how was y'all's, how's, how was y'all's Christmas? I, I pretend like I don't already know because we chat about it in our group text but it's not like gasoline it smells like ga- it's not a good thing oh no i just went and got gas i think i spilled some on my shoes that's also not a good thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh my christmas was good uh i mostly got like a bunch of like various snacks a lot of beef jerkies which i ate all yesterday oh ate, like three bags of beef jerky and two meat sticks like before we even left to go do christmas <laughs> dinner jesus christ Dude, like once you put beef jerky in front of me, I can't help myself. I'm just like, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't control it. That's why you're so low key. You're like your your system is putting everything into working the beef jerky out of you right now. Listen, I took a goddamn shit this morning, and that it was un the smell that came out of me was unsettling. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's just it's just smelt like beef jerky, but. The, just coming out that way it's just i was gagging myself in the bathroom it was so bad poor way every time you tell me a story i feel more and more sorry for your wife i just i don't know it's like you know i started team dalton but like it's the the arrows like moving over the needles moving over more towards team vic every time i'm like the stuff you put her that poor woman through you have no idea that's just the tip of the iceberg (laughs) <laughs> i think i have a pretty good idea actually <laughs> let's be honest um see christmas uh the most fun part of my christmas is probably like getting really drunk and shooting guns it was uh you know a southern boy doing southern things it's it a good time it was fun nice nice how's your hearing today it was better than it was yesterday very bad yeah, my still, left ear there's still like a ringing in my left ear and i'm like fuck this that's not good <laughs> that's also sort of detrimental to i don't know podcasting yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh what about you charlie so i had a really interesting uh christmas since i got covid for christmas so i i went on the porches of my family and uh i i, I had a crutch and i begged for for presents and uh that's, that's what i did this year yeah spare gifts you got some spare gifts <laughs> yep. that's, that's awesome that's how i played it this year well we did we did christmas here we stayed local you know, because 
because it's just a pain in the ass to travel during Christmas, and I'm always glad when I don't have to. Um, and I went home for Thanksgiving, so um, Unless you got Amarion just, just working, lurking in the shadows, waiting to get you. <laughs> what Amarion? The Marion. Omarion, the COVID variant. Oh, Omicron. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it, Dalton. You knew what it was. Do not be like that. <laughs> I was hoping someone would make like an Omarion reference. Like, you know, the fucking R&B singer Omarion? I have no idea who that is. Hi, everybody. This is Omarion. I am an artist, not a variant. What? Yeah, oh no, my no idea. God, educate yourself. No, Austin. this is we. This is we understand. We understand that you and I. There's no overlap in our musical likes. <laughs> Dude, no, he was the fucking. He was in B2K. B2K. Yes. I don't know what that is either. Oh my god, this was like when I was in middle school. Yeah, which means I was a grown ass adult by then. I wasn't listening to new music. Didn't Omarion do uh, Icebox Charlie? I got an Icebox where my heart used to be. I, I maybe that sounds familiar. Oh my god, people, what are you doing? <laughs> Once again, boomer, boomer Austin. So, so we were given a really beautiful gift yesterday for Christmas. Not only was there an emergency Alex Jones session where he <laughs> told Trump that he needed to uh dispel what he said to Candace Owens or lose everybody forever. But then he got home and his wife beat the fuck out of him and got charged with domestic violence. So I think that uh, that was just a treat for everyone uh, on Christmas Day. Yes, there's the I can't even imagine what his children go through on a near daily basis. Like, you know, and like, I, yeah, 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 it's so it's so horrible because it's like he's a shitty person who is an alcoholic most likely right i mean without diagnosing sure. i mean he's been popped on duis and he's done shows just wasted i mean i have two so i can't throw you know stones too far <laughs> but you know it's just and, and then I, I just think that like to be married to that kind of person i think you also you you're probably in a not great place either and just the chaos that those kids have to go through on a daily and this is like his third marriage i think you know i don't know it's it's bizarre very very strange and he's a maniac and will continue to be one well i don't want to delve too far in like alex jones talk because that podcast already exists (laughs) until we do our like alex jones episode which will be coming because like we have to right there's just too much there's too much to cover (laughs) but i mean speaking of his kids there's like one episode of Infowars that i I can't remember like a date or anything but basically like he condemned his like preteen child for not like wanting to go maskless to school and stand up to like the school's rules or whatever it's like what the fuck you're like that's your kid man yeah (laughs) i can't talk about your kid like that it's that's the thing it's like you know even though he claims to be a character like just playing a character it's like this this stuff goes home with him you know this this shit is just everywhere it just he's touches not, everything i i think he's playing a character to a certain extent but I, I think he absolutely believes everything that's coming out of his like he he doesn't believe he he turns the shit up to 11 like you know the old wrestling saying your best character is yourself turned up to 11 right i think that's what he does for Infowars. he obviously believes some of the stuff to a certain extent right yeah yeah yeah, for sure. Or he's he's a CIA op. All right, Q. 
<laughs> he's 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 paid opposition <laughs> um all right well you want to jump into this episode uh yeah i have no fucking clue what it is all right so here we go we're gonna just start it you guys have no idea and at some point i'm gonna text uh the group a picture just so because i think you need to see what i'm talking about to kind of get a good idea which is awesome for audio platforms which is what we do but uh let's go <laughs> So we're going to talk. You can Google at home, folks. <laughs> Google along with us, unless you're driving. And please don't Google while you're driving. It's, it's um, okay. I endorse Googling while driving. So I, I'm just going to give like, this is like an outline of what we're going to cover today. And I'm just going to ignore that Dalton just said that because it's better to not feed the troll sometimes. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about pirates. We're going to talk about guns. We're going to talk about a bunch of gays. We're going to talk about Versace. We're going to talk about fake diplomats. We're going to talk about money laundering, of course, because that's what the show is about. We're also going to even talk about Nazis and UFO conspiracies. This is all in this one story. It is Christmas. This is Merry Christmas, y'all. I've been really excited. <laughs> I have been really excited when I was writing this. And so that's why when we canceled, because Dalton was at a cookout, um, <laughs> the recording, I was like, not, was not like an actual cookout. I was at the restaurant cookout. Oh, I thought you were actually at a cookout. No, I was at the restaurant cookout. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. <laughs> Is that next to Steel Magnolias? No, no, no. Y'all don't, oh, you don't have, no. Don't, Louisiana never had a cookout when you were there? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not in my part. I, I, I know in, it's a southern chain. It. They might have been further south. I was like, North, I mean, I'm Shreveport was like a little metropolitan area. Okay. Um, all right. So we're going to start talking about pirates, right? Um, we, to do that, we're going to start talking or to start talking about pirates. We're going to talk about the state of 1960s radio in the UK, right? There was only one radio station allowed, which was the BBC, which was a very staunch and conservative radio station. Wait, hold on. (laughs) They only allowed one radio station. Yeah. There was only one licensed radio station because like in, in the UK, like in the, like in the U S it's the FCC and they give out licenses for radio stations to legally operate in the UK. They did it, but they only gave out one license, which was to the BBC. That sounds uh, pretty fascist. (laughs) Yeah, it does. And you know, it's funny when you have fascists, like there's always like a counter culture that comes up as a result of it, like kind of a counter coup. And that's pretty much what happened here. You listen to WGRF uh, (laughs) pirate radio. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what happens. Like they, people wanted the sixties pop music that everybody remembers from the sixties and the BBC just wasn't playing it. Um, So you, you couldn't do it. um, But you always have opportunistic people, right? And they're like, we got to figure out a way to get good music to the people of the UK. It's a righteous mission. It's what we're going to do. Um, so they patched a plan. And if they weren't able to have a radio station on the actual land in Great Britain, they decided we're going to get a bunch of ships and we're going to put giant antennas and we're going to broadcast from sea to the mainland. And so they Ooh. literally had pirate ship um radio stations that were that were circling the uk and service well they they didn't move they kind of just stayed where they were most of the time <laughs> Pirates are just circling. There a movie about that <laughs> there is a movie about that yes from like 10 or 15 years ago yeah yeah called i think it was called pirate radio it had a different title in the uk but it was based on this whole event okay 
I remember it not being a bad movie. I, I remember I, I remember bits theaters. and pieces of it. When you said the the boats, that's what got me. I'm like, yeah, yeah I remember there being a, the the boat radio station. So yeah, okay. and these like DJs would live on the boat, and they would all take different shifts DJing at the station. So you had like a bunch of these different personalities for this different station. They just lived on the boat. Yeah, you just live on these. Big, Were they big... eating like fish and hardtack? Like, <laughs> I mean, they, they would. They're close enough to land where they can, you know, kind of go back and forth. You know, they just they didn't. Want the the actual radio ship couldn't go too close to the land because they didn't want to get in trouble. Um, okay. But they were outside of Britain's waters, like they were. They were like, "Hey, we you can't touch us because we, you know, we're legally in international waters. We're not in British controlled waters, so you can't do anything." And so it was. It got popular, um, and there were. Uh, by 1967, there were 10 of these ships with their, and they each had their own, you know, cast of DJs and they, they each serviced different parts of, um, of England based on where they were. I, I know you're now listening to DJ or, <laughs> and your next song is Britney Spears. Hit me one more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, now with the internet, you can do pretty much anything. So this is all like really quaint for the time. Um, so oh, radio's dead. Radio's dead. Yeah, radio is dead. <laughs> Comcast killed it, or what is it? iHeartRadio. I mean, um, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm kind of better off without it, right? I don't know. I still am a little nostalgic for it, but dude, my phone died the other way on the on the. My phone died the other day on the way home, and I had to listen to the radio. It's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> well, it's because it's not local anymore. It's it's Clear Channel. Sorry, not Comcast. Clear Channel owns most of the stations in the U.S. They one person programs the you know like there's no distinction based on where your city is. You don't have local DJs anymore. You don't have you know there's no feel for something. Um, it's all pre-programmed garbage. So anyway, that's my tirade about radio. Um, so the the British government they didn't really like this. <laughs> like we, we, we have our BBC. That's all we need. We don't need these pirates with these big ships around the, around the UK broadcasting this rock and roll music to the kids. You know, like I feel like it's like, yeah, it's these nasty old British people. Um, so there wasn't a lot they could do legally though. That's the problem, right? They were like, we got to stop these ships. And they're like, but we can't because they're in international waters and we don't have any say. So they did what governments always do when they really want to do something. They change the law. (laughs) (laughs) They uh, passed this thing called the Marine Broadcasting Offenses Act of 1967. And that made it illegal to broadcast from a ship to the UK. Um, it, they also, at the same time, they knew there was going to be a mass rebellion of the youths because you're, you're killing all their radio stations that they like. So they restructured the way the BBC w- was um, set up and they established BBC Radio 1, 2, 3, and 4. Um, so this caused a little bit of a problem. All these DJs were out of work, right? Because they couldn't broadcast from their ships. And a surprising number of them went actually to go work for the BBC after this. And there's some really famous um, people that came out of there. The ones that I know of is uh, John Peel, who's like a legendary British um, rock and roll DJ. He's he's great. He used to have these things called the Peel Sessions. And he would find these up and coming bands and highlight them and, you know, really give them exposure to this huge audience. So it's kind of cool the way that worked anyway. Uh, fucking, how does that resume work? Like, do, do you go in like, yeah, you know, uh, I was on a pirate ship. My British accent is terrible today. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was on a pirate ship and uh, we <laughs> We had uh, antennas, and that's how we did the radio. Can I work here? 
<laughs> so as much as I'd like to imagine, I think that I think the BBC wanted these DJs, right? Because they had clout already and they were like, it will give us some cred if we get John Peel or these other DJs on our radio. So I have a feeling that the, the BBC was like, come, please come work for us because you'll bring listeners to the station and you'll bring some legitimacy because that's what they wanted. They wanted to be legit. Um, so, yeah. So. Now we're going to talk about one of our story's main characters. We've got a few characters, so that I don't know if there's a single main character, but this is a guy whose name is Patty Roy Bates. And we're just going to call him Roy because that's what he went by. Um, he uh, was a... Master Bates. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> you do better. <laughs> that's low dangling fruit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every time you masturbate, it is. <laughs> so this guy... <laughs> Stop. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um so bates roy was a world war ii veteran who had dabbled in a bunch of different businesses after the war he um had a chain of butcher shops he imported rubber and he even sold seaweed to new york city florists i'm not sure why they were putting a bunch of seaweed in their uh, arrangements but it was apparently a thing at one point um at some point in the mid 60s, though, Roy wanted to get into the radio business and he was like, I want to start my own pirate radio station. And so he just decided to do that. He, he was he's, he's a guy that kind of I feel like he just changed his mind. and He had like a new whim every once in a while. He'd be like, this is what I want to do now. And then he'd go out and do it. Um, he also comes across as like this like tough old British dude, you know, who doesn't look big, but like he'd be the guy at a pub getting into a fight every night and just like barrel chested and, you know, old school tough. I want to be him. He sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> He's cool. This guy's not going to be a bad guy. I just want you to know, like I usually ruin him halfway through the story, but this guy, not a bad guy. Okay, good. I mean, maybe personally he was, but like in the, the no, context no, no, of the no, story. Don't ruin it. Don't, don't, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just, he like, yeah, he's just like, again, I think he's like this barrel chested pub brawler. Um, it, while fighting in World War II, he had a grenade blown up in his face, but he just kept fighting. He was very cool. <laughs> very like cool. cool. Total <laughs> badass dude. <laughs> um, so since the ships were now illegal, the station operators had to figure out a new strategy because a lot of them weren't happy. They're like, we're going to continue to broadcast. You can't stop us. The, the British government can't stop us. So, um, the new strategy that they kind of came up with was during World War II, Britain had constructed several naval forts off of its coast to shoot down any incoming Nazi planes. And this is a point where I'm going to send you a picture of what these things look like. Right, so look at your phone. So the one I sent you is the one we're going to mostly be talking about. What the fuck is that? This is like a little fucking crack shack out in their water. Yeah, it's like a platform on these two giant concrete pillars. And actually, um, the, the pillars themselves have rooms and like bedrooms and sleeping quarters and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the platform itself, it's got like a helicopter pad that, so you can you know fly a helicopter in. That is one of those. Okay. So there was a bunch of these, right? And they were built at various spots along the coast in the U.K., uh, and they were abandoned after the war. So they, um, this was like the perfect location, right? You put a tower there. You don't have to worry about it. It's not a boat, so it's not illegal. Well, it's still illegal, but it's not outlawed. Like, they're not going to come right. after you. Um, so he took on a partner named Ronan O'Reilly. Um, and 
this was a good move. O'Reilly had been a pirate ship operator before. He had a thing called uh, Radio Caroline. He had two ships, which was a big deal. Most people, that's, I mean, that's twice as many as all the other operators. Two boats. (laughs) I got two boats. So the plan was to set up a new station um, called Radio Essex, which would serve the Essex area in the UK. Um, And they had their eye on a fort called Knock John. I don't know why it was called Knock John. It feels very British to me, Um, but they decided to set up shop there. So they did. Uh, And it pretty quickly turned out that this was not going to work out for them. (laughs) So the problem was, is that Knock John was stationed less than three miles from the coast of England. And that is a problem because it is considered to be in English waters. Therefore, it's under English control, right? So mm. the, the the Brits were like, nope, sorry, you're too close. You're in British waters. We say you can't do that anymore. So they had to find uh, another platform. And luckily, there was one that we're going to talk about um, called Rough Sands. And Rough Sands was far enough away from the coast where they were technically in international waters. And so England didn't have any domain. And they started up Radio Essex. Very cool. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's it's pretty cool. Like, the, just look at this World War II abandoned fort. Let's go make a radio station out of it. <laughs> um, so before long, there was a blow up between Roy and O'Reilly, uh, which led to Roy taking over the station. <laughs> he just kicked O'Reilly out. So this is my station now. O'Reilly attempted to, his own coup to take over the platform, but Roy was ready with him and heavily armed. Roy had guns all over this platform that he had hidden. <laughs> so, all right. Like, I've seen in TV shows, like, if you kill somebody in international waters, it's not really, like, against the law, right? Is that real? I don't think that's real, but luckily no one died. Even though, from the telling of this, there were uh, Molotov cocktails involved in this skirmish. But whatever happened, badass Roy remained the, the he took over. Ford and was like, this is mine. You can't, you can't have it. It's a radio station, dog. It's not that serious. <laughs> it was to Roy. That's why I said I'm not sure if he's maybe like the nicest dude in real life, but he's still kind of not a bad guy compared to the <laughs> shitheads that we talk about on this show. So after this, Roy was got, got a little worried. He was like, there's going to be more people coming from my station. So he, it's unclear if his son volunteered to drop out of school or Roy kind of like convinced him to drop out of school and come live on the radio platform. <laughs> this pirate radio station is the most important thing in your life. You yes. will drop out of school this and is, you will come defend the station. This is his inheritance. He's like, if you want an inheritance, if you want to inherit this World War II platform that I didn't pay for, that I... <laughs> I had guns and Molotov mal- cocktails to help defend. Then you have to drop out of school right now and come help me out. Um, and he was like, Michael, his son is the only person he could, um, could trust. So Michael moves out to the, to the, to the rough sands fort. And that's, that's where they are. Um, O'Reilly went on to have a pretty good career. He was uh, George Lazenby's longtime manager and produced a bunch of records and for a hot minute, he also managed the MC5, which is a band that was based out of Detroit. MC5 standing for the Motor City Five. I've never heard, never no, heard I'm of. Not him. surprised at all. Do you know who George Lazenby is? No. He was the only person, only actor to ever play James Bond just once, and he apparently got the job because he looked a lot like Sean Connery. And Sean Connery. Wait a minute, his... is that uh, the old Casino Royale? No, he... it was. He was in. Um, was he an octopus seed? No, that's a. And now, now you're gonna make me think of what movie? 
Because I went on a James Bond kick here recently, and I watched all the Daniel Craig films. Very, very solid and very solid series. I, I like it. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's the one. Okay. Yeah. Without turning into a James Bond. Connery did, I think, four, three or four movies and then refused to do the fifth. So they brought in Lazenby, who was a male model, not really an actor at that point, but he looked a lot like Sean Connery and he did it. And then the lore is maybe wrong, but the lore goes is that he got so upset that they replaced him with a guy that looked like him. He came back for the next movie and then he, <laughs> his run was done after that. Um, that's not a very good James Bond movie. Lazenby's a terrible James Bond. <laughs> he looks good, but you could tell he's not a real good actor. Not that that role requires a good actor. Well, was... let's let's be honest. Acting back then was was not very good. It, yeah, it was a, but you, it was... bad acting really stands out even then. I think. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um. So anyway, that's O'Reilly. He's done. He's out of the story. Goodbye. Uh. So back to Radio Essex. So the skirmish between Roy and O'Reilly caught the attention of the British government, but. It wasn't until shots were fired across the bow of one of the British Navy vessels that they took any action. Like it got a little too close and someone got a little trigger happy and shot at the, the naval vessel. Roy and Michael get arrested and went to trial for shooting guns at the naval vessel because they're like, we can't have these lunatics who are well armed out in the middle of the ocean shooting at our ships, which is an understandable yeah, like I, like, I, get that. I just imagine them like standing on a ship, like the fuck are they doing over there. Oh fuck! Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, shit! I didn't see that coming, man. <laughs> um. So the charges were dismissed because the judge said, "Hey, they're in international waters. They're far enough away from uh, the, the Britain that you can't do anything about them." And this really emboldened. Roy. Uh, and so on September 2nd, 1967, he declared that the Ruffs Tower was now the Principality of Sealand, which was a sovereign micronation. So he's okay. like, this is not just a radio station. This is my own country. Wow. All right. So people at home, Google Sealand, and I'm assuming that's the picture you sent us, right? Yes, that is Sealand. Okay, you'll, you'll see what uh, Austin sent us earlier. It's just like there's a ragtag little tower out in the ocean. Yeah, I call it, I'm going to, like, I might, by mistake, or just, I kind of go back and forth between calling it, like, um, yeah, I'll call it a platform from time to time, because it really is a platform. Yeah. 1967, September 2nd, he declares that this is now Sealand. So this big platform, elevated platform in the middle of the ocean. That's the best, you can, the best name he could come up with. Oh man, we're definitely after this. We're definitely going to do more episodes on micro nations because there's quite a few people out there that just claim there's one that's like in the middle of Montana, and he's claimed this little village is its own sovereign state. Um, you know, is that I legal? Like, is it legally a no, sovereign state? No, it's not. <laughs> but he's just a. They, most of these guys are like enough. They're like harmless kooks, and so people are like, just let them think that they're in their own country, that they're doing their own thing. Just leave them alone. But that's how cults start, right? That's how fucking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the first thing he does, Roy does, is he names himself as the prince and his wife, uh, Joan, is the princess of Sealand. So well, who's the fucking king and queen? There is no king and queen. There's only a prince and a princess. <laughs> There's never been a king of Sealand. There's only been a prince. I'm not sure what went into that thinking, but it's an interesting choice. <laughs> um maybe he didn't want to ruffle any feathers with the queen like the queen of england and he was like oh well you know i'll do her a favor and i'll just call myself a prince i mean but it's a monarch in name only right england anyway yeah, yeah i mean it's it's because like the queen and king have no power right 
right yeah i mean they have a little bit of power but not much they just have they have and they actually have power in that they have a tremendous amount of wealth and there's a lot of power that just comes with having money right so he would eventually go on to issue a constitution for sealand he they created a flag and a national anthem and the most important or it should say but the most important thing for the sake of this story is they also issued passports for wow so very fancy if you were a citizen of sealand you could get a sealand passport so yeah so his initial vision roy had had a a vision to turn the fort into a money making of course right because what you're not making anything on a pirate radio station. How do you, you got to keep up with this old tower that's, you know, going to require constant. So he wanted to do, um, he wanted to turn it into like a casino or a hotel or a television station. Like he had a bunch of different ideas of things that he wanted to put on this platform, but he had to also make sure, I think he's kind of paranoid about security, but he wanted to make sure that he maintained possession. This is from an article that I'm going to reference quite a bit. It go, and I will, I will link it in the show notes. Um, It says in the early seventies, uh, Roy Bates had prepared to turn the fort into a much larger mini state with a group of Belgian and Germans who had offered to go into business with him. The Germans were led by Alexander Gottfried Achenbach, um, said to be a former diamond dealer who was planning on a quiet retirement raising rabbits in Belgium until the Sealand opportunity uh, sucked him back in. It was the, quote, last great adventure of the 20th century, said Achenbach, who would eventually become, among any other titles, Sealand's Minister of Foreign Affairs. The Germans were remarkable busybodies drawing up a constitution and legal decrees and bombarding embassies all over the world with requests for diplomatic recognition. The baffled recipients (laughs) sent cable to the British government asking what was going on and the Crown's exasperation is evident in their replies that it was probably best just to ignore the Sealanders. (laughs) (laughs) These guys craved, Achenbach specifically really craved legitimacy. He's like, we're going to be recognized by another government and once that happens happens then we actually are a legal nation with our own nice hat how, oh thank you how does that like even start they're like becoming your own country it has to start like this right with- yeah where you just you establish that you've got a constitution you've got a flag now you need to establish diplomatic relations and if other countries recognize you as a country then you in theory would be your own country okay Right. So it didn't work. But even though these guys are like sending cables and letters all over the place going, please recognize Sealand, please let's let's negotiate together. Let's come up with some sort of a treaty or agreement that way. We... And all the while, the UK government is going, these guys are shooting at our ships and now they're bugging all of our allies and they're driving people crazy. Like they're just I think they're more annoyed with Sealand than anything else. Right. Um, Roy, for his part, he seemed grateful for everything that Achenbach contributed to Sealand, so much so that he was actually, he appointed Achenbach as the prime minister of the next guy. Um, But Achenbach had plans of his own. Some of his motives were spelled out in the constitution that he co-authored. It exempted citizens of Sealand, for example, from inheritance and capital gain taxes. So Achenbach is going, I'm going to use this as a tax haven so he can, you know, pull in a lot of money and not have to pay taxes, which sounds like something. It sounds like a plan, right? I mean, (laughs) well, so 
he also had a German architect draw up a bunch of plans for a neighboring platform that would include a casino, a duty-free shop, a bank, a post office, a hotel, a restaurant, and apartments. Like he, like he had the vision. We are going to do this. We are going to be multiple platforms. And I, my German is terrible. It's bad as your English. Could accent. you imagine just a country made of made out of platforms? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like- wild. I mean, how are you supposed to, like, that just seems not sustainable because you need, like, farmland and you need, like, fucking, like, cattle. You need, like, like a trade. That's that's why you have to be a real country. What the fuck does he have to trade, though? Well, you, I, I don't know. <laughs> you <get> fish. <laughs> fish, yeah, maybe. Fish, I guess. Um, Free you'll radio. See, there's, we'll we'll kind of go through the history. There's a lot of stuff that they attempt to. Like, <laughs> they have a lot of ideas that never really actually ever work out, but there's an attempt. Um. So the only problem with all of this was Roy. <laughs> Roy didn't quite have the same vision of Achenbach. And he was like, I don't think, I think you're going in a different direction. And it does seem to feel like Achenbach started to try to, to take over uh, from Roy at that point. You know, like he's got all these Germans that he's brought with him and these Belgians that he's brought with him. So things came to a head in 1978. So a little more than 10 years after the previous coup attempt, um, Roy and his wife, Joan, had left Sealand to attend to some business matters in Austria, and they left Michael, their son, to look after Sealand. Um, Achenbach used this opportunity to strike. He hired some Dutch mercenaries, and along with the Germans that were already on Sealand, they staged a coup. Um, <laughs> the Dutch stormed in. They brought in like speedboats and a helicopter, and they were able to capture Michael and hold him hostage. And they, oh, beat, wow. they beat the shit out of Michael. Um, they beat him up really bad. And they threw him in this room that just had one porthole that was too small for him to get out. So he was locked in there. Roy had no idea what was going on because he was not on Sealand. And that is, they, they, they did a coup. Um, eventually, they, they wanted to get rid of him. So they put Michael on a boat to the Netherlands and... He landed in the Netherlands. He didn't have any money. He didn't have any identification. He just was like stranded in the Netherlands um, while the Germans took over Sealand. Somehow, it's not really clear how, from what I read, he manages to get back to to England. And he goes to his dad, tells his dad what happens. And Roy's response is, well, what are you going to do to get it back? (laughs) (laughs) So he, they get, I, this is the scene in the movie where they like, they go to like the local pub and they get all of the like town toughs and everybody gets armed. They find a helicopter pilot to fly them back out to Sealand with all these like armed local men from, from Essex. They at dawn, they fly to the platform. The guys jump out of the helicopter and they, they manage to apprehend the Germans and lock them away. Um, and they, they take back over Sealand. So Roy and his his local thugs come in, and I mean, this is like an action movie, is what it sounds. This platform is not that big, right? <laughs> <laughs> it looks tiny. It's not huge, no. But there, so there's all not this, t- yeah, all this. There's just oh. constant fighting. Um, I think there was only one gunshot fired. It was from a one of the British guys had a sawed off shotgun, and he fired one shot, and that was so. It was both coups were bloodless. I mean, they beat up Michael pretty bad, but. They, nobody was killed this whole time. I think it would have changed everything had people been killed, though. And I think both sides kind of knew that. They're like, if someone dies on this platform, the government's going to step in and blow the whole thing up. So right. it's like, don't do that. Do everything up to that, but don't do that. You want to um, act like your own country or treat you like your own country? Right. <laughs> so after the after the the second coup, the the recoup coup two, 
Um, they they, they take, they got all the Germans and they let all the Germans and the Belgians and the Dutch mercenaries go back home. He said, you're all done except for Achenbach, who was now considered to be a traitor. And he had to stand trial on Sealand, um, (laughs) before, because that's what Prince Roy wants. Um, and before that could happen, he was forced to make coffee and clean all the bathrooms at Sealand. So he was like, not that bad of a punishment. Well, yeah, he's feels humiliated and he's really bad about um so okay so they ended up charging Achenbach with treason against Sealand and he was held on a ransom of what is equivalent today in the amount of $345,000 um it was it was $43,000 at the time but you do inflation $345,000 um when the UK government so he sent he sent a I, Roy said, "Hey, we have this guy. He's being held, you know, for hostage because he betrayed our country. He took a prisoner of war. He did. He took a prisoner of war. <laughs> and and the UK government is like, nope, nope. We are not getting involved with this crazy <laughs> shit that's going on in international war. It's got nothing to do with us. I we don't want any part of it. I feel like they've been saying this for years." Um, so eventually a uh, German diplomat who was stationed at the German embassy in the UK was like, fine, I'll go out there. I'll broker a deal. Um, so he does. And after a few weeks of going back and forth with Roy, they come with, up with some sort of deal. Achenbach is released and he um, is, quote, deported back to Germany. Um, but he wasn't happy uh, and he would never get over this exile. Um, once he gets back to Germany, he, he uh, establishes his own government in exile known as the Sealand Rebel Government. So, oh, my God. So he succeeded. He succeeded from Sealand without even being at Sealand. Yes. So this has two things. So now we have two two versions of Sealand that hate each other, right? So you don't have just this one. This is like a 100 by 100 foot platform. Like. <laughs> <laughs> So we have the Sealand government, we have the Sealand rebel government, right? And meanwhile, Roy takes the the fact that the German consulate sent a diplomat to his station, to his platform. He's like, well, the German government recognizes this as a real country. He's like, so I've done it. I've made it. Now I'm a real country. Now I have a diplomatic relationship with Germany, which is just not true. It's totally made up. They they just went over there so you would like let their guy go home. Yes, so they wouldn't kill him. (laughs) Um, this, this really feels like that bit that Ed and Adam did uh, over that title. And oh, yeah. they got legitimacy from Dom choking them both out and becoming <laughs> champion. Up, going back and forth. Like, right now. <laughs> Updating a Wikipedia page. They're like, it's on Wikipedia. It's got to be true. Damn it. This is this, exactly this, this, it does sound it's the like same something. energy. Yeah. It, it is sounds the like same fucking energy. guy would do like i'm just gonna fucking make this wikipedia page it's oh, real now yeah. right oh hell yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> if that was around at the time yeah absolutely and it's so petty it's like these are grown-ass men fighting over a platform <laughs> in the middle of the water it's like come on <laughs> i mean at least what they were fighting over was something real like it's yeah. not a wikipedia entry uh for a <laughs> wrestling belt but <laughs> a retired wrestling, wrestling belt that doesn't even exist anymore <laughs> right um so we're gonna put right, just to put this in perspective yes hold on this is a good time let's kind of wrap up what we've talked about because we're gonna shift lanes really quick it's just it's hard to wrap my brain around because i'm like 90 percent sure my yard is bigger than sealand <laughs> <laughs> no it'll be like me fucking fencing off my yard and putting guard towers in yep. my yard and making yep. sure no one comes in my yard 
Yeah, but you'd have, I mean, but you're all, but you, your disadvantage is that you're landlocked, right? They're technically in international water. So there's no authority that can come over there and go, hey, you can't do this. You can't do that. Like they're free of all of that. What the fuck is the UN good for if it's not for like this? <laughs> I do, they're not going to get involved with this. They have much bigger problems than a, a lunatic family with a bunch of guns on a platform in the middle of the ocean. If anything, they're like, hey, just leave them out there. You know, like better there than anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, like if they're if they're afloat, they're not shooting anybody on the mainland. It, I don't. It's just like so. Yeah. So there's sea land. So we're gonna put a pen in sea land, and we're gonna switch things up a little bit. We're gonna get all true crime. Y'all ready for this? All right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? <laughs> um. <laughs> it's like that one Ja Rule concert where that Fifty Cent bought all the tickets for, so nobody would. Oh yeah, that that was recent, wasn't it? A few years ago. It's petty as hell. Dude, it's so good. It's so good. Oh god, Fifty Cent is my favorite troll of all time. He's so he's like he's a horrible person. Don't get me wrong, but he's my favorite troll ever. Like he's done shit like this for years, and it's been under the radar. Like he challenged, uh, he told Floyd Mayweather that he'd give him fifty million dollars if he read a book on uh, Instagram Live. Like it was like a simple book because like his big joke is that uh, Floyd Mayweather can't read. Yeah, I think it was like the Cat in the Hat or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Floyd Mayweather got mad as shit and wouldn't do it. Because <laughs> he can't fucking read. <laughs> I like that. See, that's fun energy. I, I, it also makes me feel like, like you remember the Hulk Hogan Gawker uh, thing where they put Gawker out of business? That yeah. felt a little dirtier because that was Peter Thiel uh, sponsoring. Um, he basically gave Hulk Hogan's legal defense $10 million to sue Gawker because they, they outed him. Uh, as a well, they put man. a sex tape out there, right? Yeah, they put a they edited down the sex the sex tape and put it online, and that's why Hulk Hogan sued. But it he wouldn't have been able to sue them. He didn't have ten million dollars laying around. He wouldn't have been able to sue them if this guy Peter Thiel. Well, Linda took everything, right? I she, she fleeced him, but he got a lot out of that court case too. I mean, like he got a lot. They put I'm back, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's like an evil fucking billionaire. We got a lot thing. out of that court case. We got on the record Hulk Hogan saying he does not have a ten inch penis. So. No, Hulk Hogan does have a 10-inch piece. Yeah, Terry Bollea doesn't. Terry Bollea uh, does not uh, have a 10-inch yeah. <laughs> All right. That's, that's a wild thing to say in the court case, right? That's a, right? Well, <laughs> a, a treat. It was I mean, a treat for everybody. The reason, Also, the reason he was suing is because he wanted to get, they edited that thing down to like two minutes. It was a longer tape. And apparently he said a bunch of racist shit that eventually came out anyway. <laughs> he didn't want yeah. everybody to know that he was a fucking racist scumbag. But he was with so, a tiny penis. So well, now we're going to talk. Oh, this is so weird. That's such a weird transition. What we're going to talk about now? But we're going to well talk, from Sealand to Hulk Hogan's penis to to now crime. Yeah, to true crime. Um, so we're going to talk about this guy, this young man named Andrew Kunanan. Kunanan, Kunanan. I, I Kunanan. No, it's not Kunanan. Don't say that. But I'm probably screwing up his name. I apologize for that. I'm just going to call him Andrew going forward. Um, he was born in California, 1969, to a Filipino-American father and an Italian-American. So he was the youngest of four children, and it was pretty obvious early on that he was an exceptional child. When he was 10 years old, he had read and memorized the entire set of encyclopedias. Dalton. What a fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I should also note the only other psychopath that regularly brags about memorizing the encyclopedia when they were a little kid is Bill Gates. So you're putting that in this category. What a fucking nerd. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Nerd that turned out to be a real fucking. 
Funny enough, Andrew also turned out to be. Here we go. What did Bill Gates do besides make uh, cool little PCs? Oh, he's into a lot of bad shit. That's a whole. I know he got caught on like Jeff Epstein's island, but yeah, but it's, yeah, that's part of it. It's a whole thing. He will. We, we'll talk about it later. How he's buying up all of the farmland in America right now. Oh, the uh, behind my grandma's house, there's a pecan orchard that's uh, owned by Bill Gates. Yep. It's like right behind their house. Yep. That's a little scary that this guy is buying up every piece of land that he can. Be terrified. People don't seem to be too worried about it. He also was the guy that like during COVID was like, no, 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 we can't, uh, we can't um, release the patent information for any of these vaccines. We have to uphold the patent. We can't, only the patent holders can manufacture the vaccines, vaccines where people are like, this shouldn't have a patent on it. Like you should be able to share the formula with everybody around the world so that all these labs can make it. And he was like the one by, no, no, no. We must make money first. He didn't say that, but that's what that was the gist of. Yeah, that's what came out. So fuck him. Um, So, yeah. So in addition to having this photographic memory, right, Andrew um, possessed like a genius level IQ. This kid was smart, 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 smart. He was the only of his four uh, siblings to attend this elite private school. And according to his brother, he was his, you know, in quotes, father's pride and joy. So he's he's the one that keened. but Andrew never really fit in. He was a, a perpetual liar and he would always lie about his upbringing and his background to fit in with other people. Um, much later, he, experts suspected that he might have suffered from an antisocial personality disorder and that he lacked empathy and remorse. So, <laughs> so this dude's going to turn out to be a serial killer, right? Just hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler um, alert. Yeah. So his life got even more chaotic when he was 19. Um, his father, a stockbroker, abandoned the family and took off to the Philippines after he swindled thousands of dollars from his clients. So his dad was a stockbroker, grifted and stole a shitload of money from his clients and pieced out to the, and left the family <laughs> behind, which is... Do know, they not like, uh, what do you call it? Extradition? Yeah, do they not have extradition? It's a weird move. He, I mean, he is, he's Filipino, so it makes sense that he could probably go back there and hide because um, he's got family and relations right, there. You. But I don't think that there's, I don't think the Philippines is a no extradition. Someone can fact check me. Um, um, all right, so he takes off. Anyway, um, on top of this, Andrew at that time, like his, his dad's gone, he's 19 years old. He was outed as being gay, um, something that his deeply, deeply religious mother um, just could not refuse to come to grips with. She, there was no way her son was gay. Um, it ended up leading to an argument between he and his mother. And in that argument, apparently Andrew pushed his mother so hard that she dislocated her shoulder. Um, as far as I can tell, this was the first glimpse of like actual violence that, that Andrew had. Um, but, but I mean, that one's kind of justified, right? What? Would you dislocate your mother's shoulder? Uh, yeah, if I happen to be gay and like my mom didn't, they're like, oh, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> just leave. Just leave. Just walk away. No. I don't think there's any reason for violence. I mean, and especially if you're not being threatened with violence. Violence solves everything, Austin. <laughs> um, so in, oh, it's far. Yeah. So he heard his mom. He, had been cruising gay bars since he was in high school. Um, and all this time, he kind of preferred the company of older, wealthy gay men and the lifestyle that that afforded him, right? So he's basically a gigolo, more or less. He finds all these old rich daddies and lives off of their dime. His, that's his whole grift. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's absolutely legal. It's, it's a choice. It's what he wants to do it. And that's what I'm trying to do with you, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
don't think I'm quite old enough yet. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> and so he goes off to college. And in 1987, after just two years of college, he drops out and moves into the Castro neighborhood in San Francisco, which is the traditionally very gay neighborhood in Francisco. I've, um, seen, I've seen the movie Milk. Yes. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Uh, at this point, he's living mostly on the kindness of his wealthy benefactors. Um and like many of the grifters, I told Josh I was going to use that. I was just going to call the old gay men benefactors, and he gave me the thumbs up. Um, Reasonable. So, um, and like many of the grifters we talk about in the podcast, he got used to having all these nice things, right? So he's got like nice clothes. He's going to the nicest restaurants. These old men are spoiling him. He's driving beautiful cars and living in these just incredible houses. Um, and then he met Johnny Versace. Please, you know, I'll, I'll know what this is. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I have Versace cologne in the bathroom. It's like my favorite cologne. Yeah. So uh, the story goes that sometime <laughs> in 1990, he met the fashion legend Johnny Versace while Versace was in San Francisco. Uh, Versace's family denies that the two ever met, but I kind of don't believe that. Also, what you're going to find in this story specifically, this is like the early 90s where all this stuff goes down. All of these families are in like deep fucking denial about their gays. You know, like even though Johnny Versace was openly homosexual and had a partner, like a live-in partner, they were still like, no, he never went to, he's not that kind of gay. You know, That's like, just a just, really they, close friend. Yeah, they're just roommates. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> so it, it's it's a product of the time, but it's actually, when I was doing the research for this, I was shocked at how many times it happened. It's like, oh, the family of this person denies that they were gay or had a relationship or were ever lovers or even knew each other or existed in the same state. And it's just like, guys, fuck off. Yes, they definitely knew each other. Because just imagine like your son coming home like, hey, mom. I'm like, oh, he's so eccentric. yeah and and it's it's not like it's a big community either like the castro even though it's like a heartbed of gay life in you know san francisco people everybody kind of knows each other like it's not that big where you don't get to know especially if you're famous like versace right you know you're like oh that's johnny versace holy shit so this is from a piece in the vanity fair and vanity fair that we're real um about he and his run-in with Versace. Um, they had come into contact in a San Francisco nightclub, Colossus, in 1990. Versace was in town because he had designed costumes for the San Francisco Opera. That night, October 21st, an eyewitness recalls, Andrew was smugly pleased that Versace seemed to recognize him. I know you, Versace said, wagging a finger at the then 21-year-old's direction. Lago de Como, No. And Andrew replied, thank you for remembering, Senor Versace. It is not clear that there was ever really anything to remember or that Andrew had ever been near Versace's house on Lake Como. So this is, I, I wanted to leave that in because it's like Andrew's got game at this point. Like he knows He's uh he's a little trick and he's he's got his <laughs> fucking game. He's been doing this for years. He knows how to play it. And so he meets Versace and he comes across his lies to him about knowing him previously. <laughs> he's just so confident in like his hundred percent the right move. To, yeah, though, right. It's like. exactly hundred percent the right move. Be like, oh yes, you know me. I was at your house once. But okay, ciao. You know, like he just you. And then you walk away wagging your little tail. And, and then Versace's he, intrigued and he's yes. like, I gotta go figure this dude out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> let's see like straight gay the game doesn't change the no. game is always the same <laughs> no it, it's it's it does not change i think it's just probably works more often if you're gay than if you're straight like women are like please don't bring this bullshit to my yard 
<laughs> that's my that's my sense of it but i don't know maybe i'm wrong um but i i, I have a feeling there's something very similar to this actually you know it, it it i feel like andrew probably exaggerated the story over the years like it grew and grew and grew in his head but this wouldn't surprise me at all uh because like i said again he's perfected his game like he's he's on point he's 21 years old you know good looking guy it love just, this kid this is yeah well, <laughs> be careful about who you love oh, no. um so what what happened with Versace? Who knows? I don't I don't know anything, but it left an impression on Andrew and he continued to tell anybody that would listen that he knew Versace, Johnny Versace. Um, in 95, so this is five after five years after he met Johnny Versace, another chance encounter in San Francisco, he um, met a Minneapolis based architect named David Madsen and they began a long distance relationship. And this is the guy that Andrew really fell in love with. Like this was the one. Um, it was, you know, Madsen was 31 and uh, Andrew was 25. So there wasn't a huge age difference. It wasn't really about money um, because I think he had it. He actually, I think I know he was also hooking up with an older man in San Francisco to kind of keep his lifestyle going while he right. was dating Madsen long distance. He's got a sugar daddy. He's got a sugar daddy, and he's got this guy that he really cares for. Like he's like just he says like this is the one for me. Um, God, he, what a life! Yeah, so he's <laughs> <laughs> so at, at this time it also should be pointed out that he was a heavy drug user. So he's he's using drugs. He's also selling drugs on the side, in addition to everything else. And like it's just how kind of, like how hard are the drugs? Um. That is a good question. It's probably mostly party drugs. You know, okay. it's like club drugs and what he's, he's like definitely... Molly, ecstasy, stuff yeah, like that. Exactly. Okay. So like, probably cocaine, a lot of cocaine in the nineties. Okay. Uh, not heroin. I don't think he was a junkie. Um, right. But he was, he was, he was abusing at this point. He was definitely a, a heavy drug user. Um, eventually, even from Minneapolis, Madsen started getting some like bad vibes from Andrew. And so he ended the relationship the next year in 1996. Andrew was devastated and despite the breakup he kept a picture of madsen taped to his refrigerator like he just was Aww. kind of obsessed and very sad about this guy um so sad they they remain cordial like they kept talking but it was not a relationship like it wasn't right. a romantic so um he's like yeah so at the time of the breakup he was andrew was living with um an, another benefactor named norman blockford blotchford um, he was living on a $2,000 monthly allowance. He drove away around in one of Norman's really expensive cars and he was vacationing $2, in like thousand dollar allowance for doing, I mean, for sleeping with his old man. That's almost what I make. <laughs> yeah, but he's living rent free in a nice place he's oh. taking vacations in new york and paris he's driving around and i think it was a lexus that he was I need driving to do over in. all my life <laughs> <laughs> so he's like this guy reminds me like if instagram was around he would have been an influence you okay, know this is sure. totally like his lifestyle where he's like dressing in the finest clothes i'm sure he's probably got he's got his allowance he probably has a credit card that's under norman's name too like he's he's living it up he's he's now at this point he's used to this lifestyle because it's all he's known um but um that wasn't gonna last either his drug abuse consumed him it also consumed his pretty boy good looks and he was no longer the hot young thing that he was and norman dumped him and said Aww. sorry i need to move on i need somebody prettier than you i need to trade you in for a newer model <laughs> <laughs> he's like i got like the 1980 model twink i need to trade up to like the 1988 model yeah 1990 model <laughs> the 1990 model 
Yeah. So that's, that's, that was the excuse. I, there may have been more stuff going on. You know, Andrew seems very unstable. He's also on drugs. It's very hard to maintain a healthy relationship with a drug addict, you know, well, little things true. like that. So shout they're, out they're, dad. It's <laughs> a real one. <laughs> Um, oh. see you at christmas bud <laughs> <laughs> so um this is like the point where things really start to unravel for andrew right he's just his his last benefactor broke up with him he's broken up with the love of his life he's heavily on drugs and it, he was living on um credit cards really until he maxed those out and then he was broke he was not, he like owned nothing right he didn't have a place to live he didn't have a place you know a car he'd always been given these things and some of any of this so in uh, the spring of 1997 he told some friends that he was leaving town to in his quote settle some business with an old friend um the friend that he was going to meet is his name was jeffrey trail um he considered trail to be his best friend and often referred to him as his brother it's a little unclear how Andrew and Trail knew each other, but they might have been former lovers that turned into friends. Again, Trail's family denies that the two men were ever lovers. This is just the theme of the deep gay denialism. Insane, and right? Yeah. right? That's fucking that's nuts. It's so stupid. It doesn't make any sense today. It did then. It wasn't a good thing. I'm not excusing it, but it, it, it's know. still something that happens today. Trust oh, me. Because yeah, I know of people that are gay, like down here, and their parents refuse to accept it. Yep. Like, oh, no, you're not. It's just a phase. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. It's it's such a shitty thing to to like. That's a whole. That's a whole different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole different branch. Yeah. Um, I know so, people whose parents refuse to believe that they have COVID, even though they have positive tests. So, <laughs> not that you know, I can totally understand. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dude, like. If I were in your boat, my mom would be the same way. Don't worry. <laughs> it's nuts. It's fucking crazy. My um, mother that works in a hospital, by the way. <laughs> it's wild. Oh, I can't even process that. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta restart. <laughs> Let me just reboot my brain real quick. Uh, uh, yeah. So back to Andrew. Trail and Andrew had recently had a big blow up, and it seemed to really affect Andrew. I'm not sure what the argument was about, and you know, again, Trail lives in Minneapolis. Um, so how did he get from San Francisco to Minneapolis without any money? I think he borrowed from people. It was, it's not clear. Like he still had friends, you know, that would right. help him out if he, but he, um, he was making his way to Minneapolis to meet up with trail after their big blowout. Um, and on top of this, somehow he believed that he had contracted HIV. So he is like, I'm HIV positive. I don't have anybody I love in my life. I've been cut off by my benefactor. Like, you know, I had this huge fight with this guy. I call my brother. These are not going well for Andrew right now. Um, that's so fucking sad man like just the series of events i know and he's young i mean this is he's like 26 or 27 oh time. man he still has really, like whole life ahead of him yeah he hit the wall uh, and now he thinks he has hiv so um despite the argument that they have you know trail is still his friend uh and he let andrew stay in his apartment while it, he trail and his new boyfriend were out of town um so they're like you know you can have our apartment we know you don't have a place to stay while you're in minneapolis but you know we'll, we're gonna be out of town for a little um when they returned, Andrew was gone, and with him, a handgun, the trail. Oh, he left, but he took trails. Mm, not good. 
Yeah, this is this is when it starts to turn. Um, Andrew called Trail and cooked up some story about being scared and he needed the gun. Uh, he asked Trail to come over to his ex-boyfriend's house, David Madsen, who we talked about earlier, the love of his life, who's also right. a video. He says, come over to David's apartment, Madsen's apartment, to get the gun back. When Trail arrived, he was bludgeoned to death with a claw hammer by Andrew as Madsen watched on. His body was wrapped up in a carpet and left in Madsen's apartment. What the fuck? How did we get there? Like what? What? Just, just snapped. I mean, he just Ugh. finally lost it, and so now he's back at his ex-lover, his ex-boyfriend, the love of his life's apartment. He invites his best friend over and kills him with a claw hammer. Fucking nuts! That's, that's yeah. crazy. It just, it really hits. It really hit hard at that point. So this also might be the really most twisted part of the story. After the murder, Madsen and Andrew spent six more days together with the body still in Madsen's apartment. Oh, God. That is, that's gross. That's fucking. Yeah. So apparently they were spotted. That's psychopath shit, right? Like, right? that's fucking, like, that's nuts. You know what also, a body does? Like, after, like, you die? Like, yeah. you fucking full, full of gases and you bloat and you fucking shit yourself. You're decomposing. The smell is awful. Ugh. Yeah, it and and you got to be like wondering Madsen, like what is his heart? I, like it feels to me that he's got to be so terrified of Andrew that he just can't say. Like he doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's an active participant, but like he's truly terrified that he just watched his ex boyfriend kill another man in his apartment. And I, it's it's wild. It's just a crazy story. Um, but they the, the couple together were spotted eating lunch at a bar. They they were spotted walking um, Madsen's dog together, and then. After that sixth day, Andrew uh, turned on Madsen and he shot and killed Madsen with the same gun that he had stolen from Trail. So he is now a spree killer. Um, he's killed two people that he's not. And this is the true crime shit I was talking about. So he... Over the years, Andrew had kind of cultivated a lot of looks, like he'd styled his hair differently, he'd worn glasses, he hadn't worn glasses. The FBI pretty pretty quickly is on his trail. They're like, we know this has got to be the guy who did this. These, that's right. the only way these people are connected. People knew. Obviously, Trail's boyfriend was in the picture somehow and was like- They've oh, been spotted together. Right. Like, it's it's not a hard case to solve, but so they just couldn't find it, right? And they so they submit- they, put out and you can look these up they had like six or seven different images of andrew and they all kind of look like different people because he was kind of this like he had this ability to change his look up enough where you couldn't quite tell like it, it looks like the same person but you're like i could see how you may not think this was the same person so they like put out me. a bunch of photos <laughs> yeah, like you they put out a bunch <laughs> of photos and and to try and find this guy um it also, at the same time, it rocked the Castro. Like all of his friends in San Francisco freaked out because they were like, he just killed his best friend and his ex boyfriend Like he could kill me. I know him. Like he's a friend. Like what's going on? And so there was a- I think he a... killed them. He's easily capable of killing all these other people. Exactly. And so they freaked out. And a lot of them like left town and they went into hiding. People were just like, because they're like, until they catch this guy, I don't know where the hell he's going to be. Is he come back to San Francisco? What, what's going on? That's why audience, if you get the urge to commit murder, just make sure you don't have a motive or connection to the person because no, that would no, make you no, very hard no, to don't, find. Bad advice. This is not good advice. Don't give that <laughs> advice. Not no. Don't do the, the 20% of murders do not get solved. No, it's much higher than that. Uh, <laughs> it's, something like, it's like 60. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So see, the odds are in your favor. Don't Dalton. <laughs> no. This is a new low, Dalton. This is a new low. Dalton. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it right uh, now. 
Uh, if you catch my gift, it's not a uh, claim responsibility for uh, the things said on this podcast. Use your brain, please. <laughs> don't kill people. Don't kill people. Please don't kill people. Um, so rather than go back to San Francisco, uh, Andrew is on the move and he takes Madsen's stolen Jeep, steals his Jeep and makes his way to Chicago. This is where he met his next victim, a 72 year old real estate investor named Lee Miglin, M-I-G-L-I-N, Miglin. Um, Miglin was stabbed 22 times before having his throat slipped, slit with a hacksaw. His family, again, said that the two men were strangers, but the FBI believed that there, this had been, there had been some sort of relationship between Andrew and Miglin. After all, if he was just a stranger, why not just shoot him and be on your way, right? Well, it's three. It's a serial killer out there. So there's three men dead. And I, I kind of suspect that there might have been something going on with Andrew and Miglin. He was a very, very wealthy man. I mean, he was married and had a family, but that doesn't mean you're not gay. I mean, there's so a lot of down low people. Maybe like a former benefactor. Yeah, that's kind of what I suspect, but there's no evidence. Um, so Andrew swapped cars and he stole Miglin's Lexus LS sedan and headed east. So he's he had the Jeep. Now he's in a Lexus and he just keeps making his way east. And the FBI are like, we can't find this guy. How can they not find him? Like you've got credit cards and like, he's obviously stealing like cash or credit cards from these people to like fund him going. You just look where the credit card was last used and go from there. Like, it's, right? it's a lot easier to do it now than it was to do in 97. You know? That's true. It's it's the time he he wouldn't have been on the run like this today. Um, So five days after Miglin, Andrew uh, shot and killed another person, uh, a 45 year old cemetery caretaker in New Jersey named William Reese. Um, This seems like a killing purely out of need as he had no connection to him. And all Andrew ended up doing was to steal um, Reese's 1995 red Chevy pickup truck. So he unfortunately came across this this cemetery caretaker it was like i need your car i don't you know i need to ditch this this lexus and so he shoots him and steals the car it's getting really easy for him now yeah yeah they actually call this a spree killing rather than a serial killer because his method isn't the same and there's some because like killed people and all these um the cops are useless and this thing they, they they he's now been on the run for weeks and he's been one step ahead of them at every single they can't find him um so three days after he was in new jersey he arrives in miami beach and he ended up settling down here for a couple of months and he just sort of like seamlessly made his way into the miami gay scene you know people are just they just he's like a chameleon but he's there for two months and no one recognizes him. no one calls the fbi no one calls the cops no one no no one puts together because it's a big story right it's a nationwide manhunt and they they're like they just they don't know this is the, um but this would all come to a head the morning of July 15th, 1997. After being again in Miami for two months, Andrew paid his old friend Johnny Versace a visit. On the front steps of Versace's mansion, Andrew shot and killed the famed. Whoa! Yeah, so apparently Versace would usually get the paper every morning. and He'd send his assistant down to the, the newspaper stand to get it. And this morning, for whatever reason, he decided to do it himself. And so as he came back up to his mansion, he Andrew was waiting for him, ambushed him, shot and killed him. Jesus it was Christ. huge news. I remember when this broke, they were like, oh, my God, somebody killed Johnny Versace. Mind you, Versace's only about, I think he was 50 at the time. So he's not an old man right. either. I mean, this is this is prime time for him. Um, so this is massive, massive news. I mean, it, it just it's crazy, crazy, crazy. Um 
And of course, this would also, the FBI would spring back in the action because they're like, oh, this is our guy. We can't be able to catch him, but now he killed a celebrity, so we better try extra hard. Right, right. Um, killed a rich guy. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> he just killed a rich dude. Well, we got to really, we got to solve this now, guys. <laughs> um, so uh, eight days later. Well, I mean, before we move on, yeah. like when it comes to killings like this, it's always like the, uh, I need, uh, need a word, need a word. Attention? It, no. No, the people like victims, like if they're not like your normal straight white guy, right? Yeah. They're always like the they move down on the importance scale when it comes exactly. to cops, right? Yeah, right. Like, say if you kill like a black prostitute, like you're not you're not going to get caught because those are the people that have been forgotten about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm assuming the same thing will go for gay men in the nineties, right? Yeah, because I mean, in America, that that wasn't it's not it wasn't easy being a gay dude, you're right? And fucking the cop in the cop's head, I'm sure they're like, oh, it's just killing gay men. It's okay. Right. Um, whatever. Like if if he didn't get shot, he would have died of AIDS. Whatever. Fuck him. Right. And now that he's killed like celebrities, like, oh, fuck. Now we've got to solve this thing. Right. Right. And they didn't even solve it. I'll be, like, they, they never they never caught him. Uh, eight days after um, after he murdered Versace, police responded to a shots fired call um, at a houseboat where they found Andrew's body. Uh, he had killed himself with the same gun that he had used to kill Versace, Madsen, and Reese. So he, yeah, was had deep, deep issues, and but was never, never caught technically. Um, I also like the guy. It, it just he was he was also a fame seeker. It shouldn't be surprised that when he found his body, they found all of the clippings from the murders that he had done that he kept with him. He liked the attention that he got. Yes, he did. Um, and he just wanted that like lifestyle. He wanted to be famous. He was that's he just it was all about him. Um, in addition to that, to like being his own biggest fan and having all these. What do these have to do with one another? I'm so confused between the platform and that. What did I miss? There's a link here. We're, we're, it's we're happening. It hasn't happened yet. It's happening right now, right this very minute. Uh, okay. Uh, it's am, happening. I'm, like, I'm waiting. I'm like, I'm waiting. I was like, oh, it's got to be here. And then yes. now he's dead. And I'm like, well, where the fuck's the link? I am confused. <laughs> this. Here's the did next I line. Miss it at the here's... beginning of the story? Sometimes no, no, no. I'm zoned out. I'm not feeling 100%. So. <laughs> nope. This is where Sealand comes back into the story. One of the okay. items that was found on Andrew's body was a Sealand passport. Whoa! What? He just Get kept it on him? He just kept that thing on him? He had it on him. It's not clear. It's not clear that it belonged to Andrew. I think they think it belonged to it. It belonged to the guy who owned the houseboat, but it was there. And police are like, this is weird. And so they ended up reaching out to Michael about this to see if there was any connection between Sealand and Andrew and all these murders. And um, Michael, who's, you know, Roy's son, uh, what read about the connection in of in Versace in a newspaper originally. And he was like, what, why is this is weird. He, um, and he thought it was curious. He didn't have much to do with him. Sealand didn't sell that many passports and they were just novelty items at that point anyway. So he was like, I just happened to have this. It's like a gag gift. Little did he know there was something far more sinister going on in other parts of Europe. So the owner of the houseboat that Andrew killed himself on was a German citizen named Torsken Reinick. Um, Reinick sounds like a bit of a slime ball. I'm not going to go into his background, but I don't believe he knew who Andrew was. He was, however, the owner of the Sealand passport, and even more than that, claimed that he also had diplomatic plates from Sealand on his car. These things, however, were not purchased from actual Sealand. Yeah. Remember the Achenbach fella? 
the one yeah. who went into exile. Yeah. The rebel. The yes. rebel sealand. The rebel government. Uh, it's highly likely that the sealand passport found on the houseboat came from one of his many, many schemes. What a wild connection. <laughs> So the exile government would claim that they had nothing to do with the fraudulent passports. Uh, Torsken Redneck was linked to a group of Germans that were also linked with Achenbach. Um, they, I know it seems like a bit of a circumstantial, but it's not like these guys are keeping records, right? I mean, so they're, they're just, they all know each other. They're all in the same world. They're all German. Like they, and then he just happens to show up with all the Sealand diplomatic papers that, that Michael and Roy are like, he didn't get that from us because we don't sell that shit. <laughs> so, yes. So this is from that article I read from earlier, from narratively. Um, in the mid-90s, Achenbach set up a company called the Sealand Trade Development Authority Limited as, um, through the infamous Panamanian law firm Mossack Fonseca, which our masked friend is going to freak out because he's been asking me to write about this, and I'm going to. But the Panama Papers were, were released, and it found out that this law firm was setting up bogus accounts for people to hide their money in Panama. Um, it, it was a crazy story. Oh, our masked be... friend that unfollowed me on Twitter, you talking about that masked friend? <laughs> we're not going to We're not airing Twitter grievances. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> said to be, so Mosek Fonseca said to be one of the world's top creators of shell companies. According to information revealed in the Panama Papers leak in 2016, um, the STDAL, which is the Sealand Trade Development Authority Limited, was set up in the Bahamas using a Sealandic passport and envelopes bearing Sealandic stamps. <laughs> so they were like, we are our own country. We want to set up a shell company so that we can cipher all this money. Basically. Um, How are they making this money? The, uh, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> we're getting into that. This is the grift. Like, we're if you catch my grift, now we're talking about the grift. It was a lot of setup for we this. We went from uh, this weird pirate radio station to a weird sovereign country to fucking a serial killer connected to Versace, and now we're in Panama. I told you, I told you this was going to be all over the place. Holy shit. This is just a wild ass story that I was <laughs> like, I really want to tell the story. <laughs> so, um, Achenbach got up to a lot of shady stuff once he was back on the moon. This is from a German piece on the, the, that was written about the Panama paper. Um, what is known that is that at some point he met Helmut Gensnell, a Czech citizen and a part-time treasure hunter who reportedly once testified in court that he was a CIA agent. Um, Achenbach and Gensel began or became the managing directors of Sealand Trade Development Authority Limited, a front company headquartered in the Bahamas. That is what the Panama Papers tell us. And it was with this company that they apparently wanted to open up a branch in Sealand. Was this a crazy idea? Possibly, which might be why... In which might be why, in the meantime, they decided to open a bank account in Slovenia, one that held up to 12 million Deutschmark, or roughly 6 million euros. But the bank was somewhat suspicious of the account, and fearing that the money laundering was taking place, they reported it to the authorities that same year. The story was featured in the Slovenian press. So, so how many how many is 6 million euros in uh, freedom dollars? It's, I mean, euro is a little bit higher. It'd probably be about 7 million US dollar. <laughs> Ooh, got a pretty penny there. Yeah. So, so basically, these guys show up in Slovenia, right? They've got a shell company that they've established through a very um, disreputable law firm in Panama, and they're like, "Hey, we're going to open up this bank account, and here's six million euros to put in the bank." And the bank officials are like, 
something doesn't seem right. Like, first of all, the, all the papers, all the credentials that they're presenting, they present a passport from Sealand. <laughs> like they, they present themselves as citizens of Sealand and diplomats of Sealand. And some low ranking person at the bank was like, okay, sure, we'll go ahead and open that. We'll take your money. But immediately they were like, mm, something's going on here. And we suspect that these guys are laundering money from somewhere. And they've just deposited all that laundered money into our, our bank. No, I wanted to pick on Sealand so bad for being like a little fake country. Country, but I have to keep in mind I can't like first phones because I live in a state that was also a part of a little fake country <laughs> a couple hundred years ago. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so in March 1997, the authorities confiscated the money uh, to just to be on the safe side. But for eight years, Achenbach found, fought to get it back. And in 2005, the Supreme Court sided with him because no money laundering could be proven to have taken place. Right. So he fought. He's suing the government for eight years to get his money out that, that he put into this bank account and honestly it, it was like it it probably was illegally gotten like everything Achenbach did was crooked and shady we're going to talk right. about some of his schemes um seemingly looking for another grift in 2010 Achenbach sued Slovenia again for 1.3 million dollars he sued on the grounds that not having his funds for eight years uh that the the eight years that the took for the lawsuit to go through the courts caused him considerable harm. The case was dismissed and Achenbach died a year later. Oh, but the tale doesn't end there. Now, while Achenbach was up to all kinds of shenanigans in Germany and Slovenia, there was another player working out of Madrid, also selling sealant passports. They were selling (laughs) diplomatic letters, license plates, nationality cards, and degrees from universities that were supposedly run on sealant. They didn't. None of that. (laughs) What? <laughs> yes. So here's where the money comes in. According to the piece, again, and narratively, customers could shell out between $9,000 and $55,000, depending on what documents they needed. And then they were free to use them for whatever purpose. So these guys are selling because being a diplomat from a country makes things a lot easier, right? You can you can work all kinds of different deals with different countries and they're under diplomatic measures. And so now they're like, hey, we've got all these forged documents. Now let's go do some crime. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. So like, here's basically the guy that's like, oh, you need a new social security number? I got you. (laughs) (laughs) You need to ask for it? I got you. Um, And so... Yeah, so in Madrid, um, this guy named Francisco Ruiz, former cop who would be accused of heading uh, of a head, uh, sorry, a former cop would be accused of being the head of a massive global money laundering and fraud ring. He he first learned of Sealand while working in Germany. Again, it all comes from Germany in this story. Um, a Germans guys- and bad shit. Oh man, I would have never guessed. <laughs> Um, world war one all over again right god damn nazis no no that's two (laughs) world war two electric boogaloo (laughs) um so he met he met a guy in germany who was running his own sealand hustle rose was tasked with uh to set up a spanish branch um office of sealand and off to work he went and so what So there's so many people that are all connected in Germany, setting up their own little Sealand hustle. Meanwhile, the people actually on Sealand have no idea any of this. Like they're just kind of doing their own thing on a platform. But it's easy to do that when your fucking country isn't real. (laughs) (laughs) It's not real. So of course they're going to. So, yeah. So 
the Madrid organization is a money laundering thing. They weren't concerned about the business of governing. They were purely about scamming people out of their money, and they made a lot of money. Um, among the gang's capers was an attempt to purchase uh, 1,600 cars and secure a $20 million loan using Sealand documents. Um, it was also discovered that the uh, Moroccan hash smugglers had been using their diplomatic credentials to evade capture. Um, and then in 1997, the British government handed back over Hong Kong to the People's Republic of China. They, this understandably made some residents nervous and looking for a way to get out of there. So the rebel government or some offshoot gang took advantage of this fear and were sold 4,000 Sealand passports for $1,000. So that, is, that just netted them $400,000 right there. Okay, because, so my question mm-hmm. is, say if like I flew from, I don't know, fucking here to Canada, and at customs, I handed them a Sealand passport. Would that be recognized as valid? No, technically no. But if you ran into a dumbass who didn't know what they were doing, you might have a shot. Okay, okay. So yeah, are these I mean, people just getting around on these Sealand passports? Yeah, yeah, they're traveling around. They're they're preying on, I, what I can figure, they're preying on like the stupidity of people that are doing these jobs in the government work. And they're okay. like, there's a chance. Or the international law is so fucking complicated. Like there's a chance, man. These The passports look good. They looked official. You know, they look like a fraud. And just because you've never heard of a country called Sealand doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, right? Right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's like hundreds of countries I've never heard of. Yeah, well, we talked about one this week, Estonia. And you were like, what is that? <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've never heard of that. With a little juice. No, using the juice. So, yeah, so this is this is what they're doing is they're just hoping that these get away. They get away with them. Meanwhile, the guys in Madrid that are actually or the guys in Germany, for that matter, that are selling these documents know full well that they're not any good, but they're making a shitload of money off of it. Um, also, in 1996, Ooh, these passports do look good, right? Yeah. Like if you were a guy working tsa and now obviously things are different because they scan it like when you go through the airport they scan your passport and there's the technology but this is the mid-90s there was barely an internet like you go through and you flash this passport and it looks good to some you know tsa guys making 15 bucks an hour he's like right. i don't want the hassle just go i don't give a shit what, 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 why am i gonna start trouble with this person i just want to get through with my job and go home right i mean it makes sense yeah it, it's it's a it's a story that probably couldn't happen today but it could happen at that point um Yeah, it's so this is again, I'm going to go back to that piece and narratively, Uh, even more incredibly, the gang's leadership have begun negotiating with members of the Russian mafia to buy tanks, helicopters, bombs, missiles, and ammunition through the shell company set up with bootleg (laughs) documents. They intended to sell the arms to Sudan, which was under embargo by many governments of the world for being a terrorist. Wow. So the ambitions to make money are huge. They're like, if we're a state, if we're a country, right? And Russia recognizes as a country, they will sell us all these arms and then we can resell them to Sudan. And we're not, we don't have an embargo. Like there's no agreement with us in Sudan, but we're gonna make a shitload of money selling weapons to, to foreign actors. Dude. <laughs> it is crazy on Sealand documents. Sealand. <laughs> I just want to stress this, this little platform in, in international waters off of the coast of the UK, but it's not even based there. This is based in some dingy office in Madrid. Right, <laughs> right. Pretending to be this government. It's it, There's so many layers. Um, so naturally, the passports, like we just talked about, they don't actually have any real value or allow you to have diplomatic community. But again, it worked if you found someone who didn't know anybody. Um, I couldn't actually find a clear accounting of all the schemes the gang was involved with. But in 2000, the gig was up. 
or Ruiz's headquarters, or what he referred to as the Spanish Sealand Embassy, was raided and Ruiz was arrested. He had attempted to claim diplomatic immunity and showed his own Sealand paperwork. <laughs> so this guy, they raid his office and he's like, but I am a diplomat of Sealand. Here's my passport. Here are my papers. Look at this. There's a Sealand license plate, diplomatic license plate on my car. And they're like, dude, we're coming to arrest you because of this stuff. <laughs> like, you can't, right. sorry. <laughs> um, that so, would be like me, like, say I was a drug dealer and I had a whole bunch of weed in my house and the cops show up. They're like, you can't arrest me. I'm a pharmacist. Look at all this weed. It's, <laughs> you know what it is? It's also like total that sovereign citizen shit. Like when those guys yeah, get pulled sure. over and they go, I do not recognize you as legal. Yeah, this is very much in that, in that world of like, I don't recognize your authority because I'm a diplomat of an imaginary <laughs> country. Uh, <laughs> um I'm going to go back again to that piece. I'm leaning on that narratively piece quite a bit. Um, not long after um, Trio's arrest, officers crashed two more Sealandic quote-unquote embassies in Madrid, one of them located in an office that managed bingo halls. Um, at least 20 fake diplomatic passports, hundreds more blank passports, and 2,000 official documents were seized in these raids, as were two vehicles with Sealand diplomatic license plates that had been escorted through Madrid by Spanish police on more than one occasion. <laughs> so they had tricked oh. the Spanish police into recognizing the diplomatic status of these cars. Dude, I want, like, I don't, I love Sealand. I love <laughs> Sealand. It's so cool. Right? I knew you'd like this story. This is what's fun, though. <laughs> this is this is your Christmas present. Um, so that wasn't, at all told, during the sting, there are about 80 people involved in this network all around the world. So this this fraud, gelent network to produce fake pay passports and diplomats. Oh, man. So cool. But this wasn't the um, end of the Sealand government in exile. So that was all happening in Madrid, right? Achenbach, before he died, would turn over the leadership of the rogue nation in 1988 to a guy named Johannes Seeger, who assumed hey, no, but, but respect his title prince johannes no 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 remember they were never prince and i you, you jumped ahead of me because he assumed achenbach's former title of prime minister he's, uh, prime minister. he's the rebel sealand yeah yeah, yeah, the yeah. Rebel okay yeah so this is back in Ger germany we, we left madrid now we're in germany before he dies achenbach turns over the government to johannes seeger johannes seeger is the prime minister and under his direction, the organization has gone way off the fucking rails. <laughs> so, so <laughs> here we go. Um, the group has become an even more bizarre and sketchy under Seeger's reign. Its philosophies are driven by UFO-infused Aryan mysticism and the quest to harness a force-like energy called Vril. What the fuck did you just say? <laughs> so they're believing in Nazi UFO conspiracies, and right. they believe in... Like in Star Wars, the Force exists, except it's called the Vril. Um, Seeger has been investigated for numerous shady financial and land dealings over the years and has begun suing to get back the nuclear and chemical weapons entrusted to his safekeeping that the illegitimate German government took from him. Seeger asked this writer if I could put him in touch with Donald Trump to help him with his quest, canceling further contact when I was unable to do so. What year are we so. in? Uh, this is... 
really recent. This is still happening. This guy's still out there. So, like, Trump president. was president. Oh, my God. <laughs> so the guy the, the, from the piece, the writer reached out and interviewed uh, Seeger, and it's while Trump has been the president. And when the, he said, hey, can you put me in touch with Donald Trump? The reporter's like, I can't do that. And Seeger stopped returning his messages. And that You know why that's terrifying, Austin? What? Uh, Trump would 100%, 100% fall for this. <laughs> 100% think Sealand was a real country. Yeah, yeah. I was going to get to that. Now we're going to go back to the actual real Sealand, not the exile criminals that are running these gangs that are up to all kinds of Nazi alien conspiracies. So we're back to the prince. Shit. So we're back to the prince on the, okay. the, the boat. So in 1987, the UK extended its, their territory at sea by 12 nautical miles, which would include Sealand. Um, the micro country hasn't been the headache of the government that it once was, so they're pretty much just left alone. Uh, even though now they're in British waters. Roy uh, is, has been dead for a while. Michael assumed the throne and now he's the prince, um, but he spends most of his time on the mainland. We were talking about Sealand, the platform again. Um, it's been many things over the years. It included the site of a startup ISP company in the early 2000s. They thought, hey, this is international, you know, like we can, we, this can be, this can be this illicit ISP company. Um, there was an even attempt by the Pirate Bay to buy it so that they could host their file sharing servers safely away oh, from land. Very cool. Right? That would have been Shout cool. out Pirate Bay, by the way. <laughs> fucking, I love, great, fucking keep up the good work. Yeah. So <laughs> that didn't work out. Um, but one thing is still true is that it's still there and operational, even though the place is currently only occupied by two maintenance men who take shifts on and off the platform, keeping the facility from falling apart. Um, it Sealand, for its part, greatly reduced the number of passports it sold when they learned about the fraud that was that was being committed in their name. And then after September 11th, they stopped issuing passports altogether. But you can the still September 11th. Yeah, the September. They okay. said, they said this. If if our passports in any way could be used in acts of terror, they were like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Which I think was the right move. Oh, um, for sure. You know, but then when they started to catch wind of all this other fraud going on, they were like, yeah, we should really stop selling passports, or at least greatly reduce. This seems like a bad idea. But what you still can buy on the Sealand website are titles of nobility. You can buy their flag. You can buy all kinds of fun stuff. So Charlie, why don't you read what one of the titles? you can get is and how much it's going to set you back okay so uh if we're going to go like the craziest here let's let's become a duke or a duchess and it would cost you 656 dollars and 53 cents for that title yeah but duke dalton harris sounds so <laughs> fucking cool i know the titles are really kind of cool and you get like this this certificate that has this says it recognizes your nobility <laughs> yep you could get a knighthood for 129.99 uh, you could become a counter accountess for two hundred ninety-one dollars and ninety-nine cents, or you could be a lord, lady, baron, or baroness for forty-four ninety-nine. So the wildest thing on here to me is you can get your own Sealand identity card, which to me isn't too far off from having a Sealand passport. I think, I think that's the compromise. They were like, "We're not going to do a passport. We'll do an ID card if you want." It. Which and has then, a fucking barcode on it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's stupid, you know, like silly props, but I think it's, there's, if you know about Sealand, I think it's kind of a fun thing. Dude, I think you for think sure you, you get like, that though, and then go, do you think you could actually go? Um, you, I, so there's only I two think, people on it right now, but like, if you had that, can you just go and hang out? I bet I, for a price, I bet they'd let you on. I bet they would. I bet that if you, if you came to them and said, Hey, I'd like to come visit, there'd probably be a certain price that you'd have to, you know, you'd have to meet. And then obviously 
you know, working out the transportation to the, the, the platform itself. There wouldn't be much to do from what it sounds like. Right. <laughs> I read an interview with the two guys that take care that keep up the maintenance. And apparently they, they both are very opposite individuals and they spend a couple of months out there and then they, it, it's a, and it's a few weeks and then they, they tag off. So there's like one day when they're both on the platform before one of them leaves and the other one stays on for a little while. And they constantly bicker with each other and not a lot of work gets done there because they, they spend so much time undoing what the other guy did because <laughs> their idea was better. <laughs> so, uh, and it, Michael doesn't really go visit anymore. It's, it's just kind of, he just lets it be. Um, but I think they fund, you know, all the maintenance jobs with the sales from the store. And I'm sure if people want to go visit, they, there's probably a price for that. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of a wild tale. I just I wish I would have knew about this uh, Sealand identity card before I turned 18 because I would have for sure used it to like get into bars and <laughs> buy cigarettes and stuff like that because it looks so official. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a crazy story. It's like just one old dude was like, "I'm going to make my own country," and that's what this the thing. This is not an, a limited thing there's a lot of these micronations uh, micronation nations out there that you can read up on and i'll probably do love to like get into more of these yeah i definitely like these. really cool these are like i mean this is not a victimist grift at least michael and roy didn't have any victims like right. achenbach and and ruiz and you know the nazi guy they they were stealing money from people but um you know not not really michael or roy it's just kind of a harmless harmless fun a little fun adventure Yep. And, and, um, Michael wrote a book about, uh, his time at Sealand. So there's called a holding book. The fort. Wanna, uh, yep. Called holding the fort. So a lot of these stories come out of that. It's, it's, it's just a fun story. I don't know. I liked it. I was like, I want to do something a little lighthearted and not talk about preachers stealing from old women. <laughs> oh man. So yes, that's the show. That, that's it. That's it. That's it. If I can, we did the show guys. Was it, was it enough for you? It leaves me wanting more. You always leave me wanting more, Austin. It's the nicest thing you've ever said. <laughs> hey, Dalton, do we have any friends? We have friends. Check out our friends at Pod Van Dam, IWTV Guide, Super Fantastic, X Over, Hard Headed, Sweet Stuff, and Bitter Things. Check us out on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Catch Dalton. You can follow Farlow. You can follow We can follow Austin on Twitter at. And you can follow Charlie Butters on Twitter at Charlie underscore Butters. And you can follow that goddamn show on Twitter at Catch My Griff Pod. Stay beautiful.
also a correction from last our last episode um george clinton is not dead and i'm sorry i said he was (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) i was corrected i was corrected and i feel bad about it who who corrected you (laughs) Uh, it was Alberti, I believe. Oh my God. <laughs> Just imagine listening. Imagine like the off chance that George Carlin listens to this. And he no, goes, Clinton. Carlin is dead. No, George Clinton, the musician. <laughs> There's a musician named George Clinton? Yes, we talked about it in P Funk, and you had no idea who it was. Oh, I thought that you said George Carlin. No, George Carlin's dead. We who the fuck George- is George Carlin? George Carlin. Is a stand-up comedian. George Clinton is the leader of Parliament and Funkadelic and in Parliament Funkadelic. Okay. And I, 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 I said, rest in peace. And he's not dead. So I wanted to. I should definitely throw these away, right? What is that? Underwear. Yes, you should. Did you, did you fart through them? Is that? No, no. I mean, Charlie, this has got to go at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My correction. Him holding uh, up underwear. Also, you said something about the Philippines uh, with like a uh, action. Yeah. So apparently right now at the present, the Philippines has an extra has extradition treaties with Australia, Canada, the Federated States of Micronesia, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Republic of Korea, Switzerland, the United States of America and the Kingdom of Thailand. Okay. so So if I do a murder, don't go to the Philippines. Yeah, don't go to the Philippines. Okay. no, it's fucking wild. Like I thought I missed like that the guy was like part of like the family that was on the island or something and then i'm like then when you get to i was like oh, oh okay because i was like so confused I was like why did we all of a sudden switch to like this gay serial killer i'm so confused <laughs> because like, hey. i did a, i did the writing and that's all i want to talk about are gay serial killers <laughs> start video hi <laughs> welcome back <laughs> i didn't touch my computer for a long time and it locked oh is that what happened? <laughs>